You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Welcome to this episode of the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. Before we get into it, I wanted to share a quick announcement about the new Baraka Academy, which comes to you by way of ProductiveMuslim.com. It is an academy for working professionals and entrepreneurs. It's where faith meets personal development. And so it's an approach at personal productivity and personal growth and all these different skill sets that you need to grow as a professional, but done from a foundation of a, uh, a faith-based approach from the Islamic tradition. So if you're interested in signing up, please use the link, that, link in the show notes. And there is actually a professional's book club uh, within the academy, which I'm actually leading up. And so we're doing a different theme every quarter. This this quarter, our theme is leadership. We're covering it from the angle of traditional leadership studies, a critique of the traditional way that leadership is taught, and then a deep look at prophetic leadership. So if you're interested, sign up from the link in the show notes. So in this episode, I am sharing a khutbah that I delivered last Friday entitled The Sunnah of Small Moments. But before getting into the khutbah itself, there's a couple of things I wanted to share. During this particular khutbah, there was a medical emergency about halfway through. And I think it's it's uh, in the recording, it's on the video. But essentially, halfway through the khutbah, I looked up and the way that the musallah here is situated, the office is to the far right. So from the vantage point of the speaker. So while I'm speaking, I see one of the brothers in the administration standing outside of the office and he starts pointing at the like at his chest uh, at the same place where the microphone was clipped onto me. So he keeps pointing at it. And at first I thought that the microphone had gone out, which was strange because I could hear everything perfectly fine. But he kept pointing at it. So finally I had to pause. And so I stopped speaking for a moment. And I looked over at him and then he said, we need a doctor. And so immediately I realized that there's a medical emergency. So I made an announcement on the microphone that we have a medical emergency. If we could please have a doctor, a couple of doctors go and tend to the person in need. And so uh, seeing a couple of doctors get up and one that I recognize personally as knowing as a physician get up and go over there. I saw, okay, the situation is taken care of. There's a couple of doctors there to tend to the person in need. Then I tried to resume the khutbah by quickly recapping where we were at and then continuing the khutbah from there. Now, in this particular situation, that worked, alhamdulillah, that worked out fine. Uh, for those who are curious, the brother that had the medical emergency, alhamdulillah, from what I was told, he was fine. I don't know what happened exactly, but they said that he was able to leave under his own strength and that everything was okay. So no, no concern there. But the... What I want to get into is what you do from the perspective of the khatib or the speaker in this case, because this is a challenging situation. So in in this particular case, this was a large mashu with a very large congregation. So there's not a lot of room to audible or maneuver around or things like that. So I had to try to manage it the best that I could. So once I saw that the situation was taken care of, it was quote-unquote safe in that sense to continue delivering the khutbah. Now, the most important thing to keep in mind when you are the khatib or the speaker is that you are the one in charge of the room 
and the audience will take the energy of the speaker. So if the speaker or the one that's on the microphone in front of the room starts to get nervous, starts to get anxious, starts to freak out, then people in the audience are going to do the same thing. So it's very important that anytime there's some type of unexpected occurrence, the speaker has to demonstrate that they're completely under control. It's very similar to when you're on an airplane and the flight is experiencing turbulence, you'll often look up at the flight attendant. And if the flight attendant is just sitting there as if everything's perfectly fine, this is normal, that puts your heart at ease as well. So even though you're nervous from the turbulence, you look over at the flight attendant, you're like, okay, I guess this is normal. I can take I can take that person's lead. It's the same way in this. You have to display that you're in control of the situation. Now, one thing that happened in this particular khutbah is that just a couple of minutes after that incident, from the left side, I could see outside the window of the masjid and I saw the ambulance and fire truck coming in. And so at that moment, I had to mentally prepare myself that, okay, if emergency personnel do need to come into the masjid, I have to be ready in that situation to do to do crowd control and to direct traffic. And that means telling people literally like make a way, make a pathway, move over to the side. If people come in with their shoes on, don't worry about it. Essentially, you're taking charge of the situation. And when you take charge, people will listen and follow your direction. I want to share two more stories real quick of of incidents that I've seen with medical emergencies. So one one time what happened was I was leading the prayer. Uh, so the khutbah had finished. We had started the salah. And in the first rakah, like right as I started Surah Fatiha, I heard a big thud, like kind of behind me and to the right. And so I couldn't quite turn around to see what happened, but I definitely heard a thud and I could sense some type of a commotion happening behind me. And so I realized like, okay, Clearly something has happened uh, that has caused some commotion, some, some incident has occurred. So in that case, I made my best judgment call, which was let me try to just finish the Salah as quickly as I possibly can. So Surah Falak, Surah Nas, go through the, the Salah quickly. Also, one, one reason I should mention why I made that particular judgment call is this was a masjid that I know very well and I know the community very well. And... It, ha- it just so happens, as happens in a lot of masajid, there's a lot of physicians present in the congregation. And usually they're, they're smart enough to know that if they see a situation like that, they'll break their prayer and go tend to the person in need. And that's actually what ended up happening in this case, was uh, there was a physician right there who saw this person. He, what happened was he face-planted during the prayer. So the physician saw this, he broke his prayer and began tending to the patient. Um... And he actually called an ambulance. And so by the time I finished the Salah, I, I, had, I still had no idea what had actually transpired. But I knew that same bottom line, which was I have to immediately take control. Otherwise, there's going to be chaos in the audience. And so the moment I said Salam, I immediately stood up, took the mic and turned around and saw that, okay, there's physicians tending to, to someone. There. He was still in the prayer hall. And I said, okay. We have, you know, again, made the announcement on the mic. We have a medical emergency. We have physicians here. If we could just please clear a pathway. Um, because the physician had told me that we called an ambulance. I said, clear a pathway. If you need to pray your sunnah, move over to that side or go to the back. But leave this area clear for if medical personnel need to come in. 
And so the thing is, is that once you take charge and display that command, people will follow your lead and they will listen. The The problem that happens, and this is what happened in, in the recording of the khutbah that's uh, in this episode, is that even though I was able to take control and uh, continue the khutbah and all of that, the issue was is that because an incident happened and the person was still there on the side, is that people are looking over to that side. And so that's very distracting as a speaker that you're looking at the audience and everyone's heads are turned 90 degrees looking at something else. And so that's very difficult both for the audience to listen and then it can also zap the energy of the speaker. There's not really anything that you can do about it, but you have to make the best with uh, the situation that you have. Last story, which was, and this is an example of someone handling a medical emergency in a bad way. And so this happened at a masjid where the the khatib, the way that the, the member is situated, the khatib can see the main entrance into the prayer hall and they can also see through those glass doors to the main entrance of the masjid itself. So while you're giving khutbah, you can actually see people walking in from the parking lot through the door. Now, I got to the khutbah and as I'm walking in, the, I mean the khutbah had already started, I'm walking in speaking to a brother in the parking lot. So we're walking together and just as we step over the curb to get to the main door, I hear I hear a noise and I turn around and this brother had fallen down. And I don't know whether he whether he fainted, whether he tripped, what happened. Uh, but the moment he fell, two or three people who were right beside him immediately jumped down, you know, to help him. And so once I saw that they were helping him, my instinct was let me run inside and grab a doctor. So I quickly went inside the masjid and I uh, grabbed a doctor that I knew and I, I said, you know, uh, we have a medical emergency. So we said, okay, he, so he starts coming out with me. The khatib, seeing all of this transpiring, actually went, oh my God, what happened? Oh, this brother fell down. And he, he got anxious. He got nervous. And therefore, what happened? He lost the khutbah because everybody in the congregation then did what? They turned around and started staring and and it became a huge distraction in that way. What what the khatib should have done in that case was recognize like, okay, uh, I see a brother who's a regular here and I see him grabbing a doctor who's well known in the community. It must be under control, right? And then if it's not under control, someone will come and alert you if they need some additional type of help. But as long as the situation is taken care of, you can continue on. Now the question arises, what do you do if it's a situation where you don't have that ability or maybe it's a smaller congregation in that case you have to just audible if you're in a situation where you feel maybe there's not a physician maybe we need to stop the khutbah to get this this person medical attention or call an ambulance like you'll have to make that call in that moment based on the situation uh, that there's not really like an easy rule of thumb you have to do your best with what you've got but in general you want to make sure that the the situation itself is addressed, that there is some path to it being resolved or someone helping that person, then you can continue uh, what you were doing or you know delivering the khutbah and so on. So these are realities. These are things that happen uh, as you speak. The, again, the important thing to underscore is you have to maintain confidence. You have to maintain control. You have to be able to direct traffic. You have to be able to facilitate and, and find help the best that you can. And then I'll, again, continue the, the job that you have. 
sometimes the situation may warrant just saying, okay, we're going to end the khutbah here, do a quick salah and, and call it a day. That all goes back to your position, your role, uh, your comfort with that community, uh, and so on. So I thought that this was interesting. That this was all caught. Uh, you see it on the video. You see it and you hear it in the audio here, obviously. Uh, so listen for that as you're listening to this khutbah, inshallah. And then any other feedback or comments. If you've got stories about something similar, please please share them. This is actually material that we we share in the Kalam Institute Khutib workshop. We try to go through all these different types of scenarios and train people on what to do. For example, if the microphone goes out or, you know, all these different things that happen, we try to train and prepare people on it. So with that, uh, I'm going to insert the khutbah recording now. Hope you hope you enjoy it, benefit, inshallah. In alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiru wa na'udhu billahi min shuri anfusina wa min sayi'ati amalina man yahdihillahu falamudillala wa man yudlil falahadiyala wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahtahu la sharika la wa ashadu anna muhammadin abduhu wa rasoolahu Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanattakullaha haqqa tuqatihi wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimoon يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يتع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أستك الحديث كتاب الله وخير الحديث محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محتثاتها وكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل دلالة في النار. Okay, please ask everyone to move as close to the front as you can and make space before we begin. Imam Tirmidhi compiled a book familiar to many of us called the Shama' al the characteristics of the Prophet Muhammad And in this book, he included a narration which forms the basis, it forms the foundation for how we come to understand the physical appearance of the Prophet And this hadith is narrated to us by a woman named Umm Ma'bad. And Umm Ma'bad is someone that simply had a tent and she sold food and provision to travelers. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he was on the journey of Hijrah, the famous migration, and he was with Abu Bakr and their guide, they ran out of provision and they happened to stop at the tent of Umm Ma'bad. And so they came and they said, do you have any food, do you have any meat, any dates, anything that we can take? And she said, I wish that I did, but I'm completely out, I have nothing left to give you. So the Prophet ﷺ, he looks around and he sees a sheep off to the side. And he says, what about this sheep? Does it have any milk? And she says, if it had milk, I would give you the milk, but this sheep is old, it's tired, it's fatigued, it hasn't produced milk in ages. And so he goes to the sheep, he puts his hand on the udder, he takes the name of Allah, and the udder fills with milk. So he tells Umm Ma'bad, bring a container, and they fill the container with milk. And then each of them takes turns and they drink to their fill. Then they fill the container again. And the Prophet and Abu Bakr and their guide, they go on their way. After some time, the husband of Umar Abad comes home. 
And he comes and he sees this container of milk. And he says, where did this milk come from? This sheep hasn't produced milk in how long? Where did you get this? And she said, a most blessed man came today. He was a man whose face was radiant and bright, luminous. We know we can say it was full of nur. He was a man that was neither thin nor fat. He was elegant. He was handsome. He was someone, his eyes were blackish, his eyelashes were long. His voice was pleasant. He had a thick beard and long eyebrows. He was dignified when he was silent. And when he spoke, his speech was splendid and magnificent. He was the most handsome and pleasant of people from afar. And he was the most dignified and the best of them up close. He was someone whose speech was sweet. It was neither curt and short, nor did he speak unnecessarily and ramble. But his words were like the beads of a necklace, every single word falling perfectly into its place. He was someone that was of medium height, neither tall nor short. He was the most brilliant of his companions in appearance. And when he spoke, they listened attentively. And when he gave in a command, they executed it immediately. And Abu Ma'bad, he hears this and he says, this must be the man the Quraysh told us about. I must go and accompany him. Now there's two very fascinating things about this particular hadith. The first is that in any normal circumstance, the fact that you have a sheep that has not produced milk in a long time and is weak and fatigued and tired, and you come home and all of a sudden there's a container full of milk is miraculous. And under any normal circumstance, that would be the miracle, that would be the topic of conversation when your spouse comes home. That you would not believe what happened, the sheep that hasn't produced milk suddenly produced milk. But that was not the topic of conversation. Because the mere interaction, the mere moment of meeting and seeing the Prophet ﷺ was far more captivating. And that second most fascinating thing was that this description that forms the basis by which we understand the appearance of the Prophet ﷺ did not come from someone that met him regularly, but this was the only time that Umm Abad saw the Prophet ﷺ. And so in that brief moment, they're traveling, they're on a journey, they're escaping the Quraysh, they're trying to set up a new life in Medina. They have a lot of things going on. And yet in this small passing moment in the journey, literally a rest stop, a transformative moment happens. And when we look at the life of the Prophet wasallam, we not only find a multitude of examples where a small moment had a powerful impact in the life of someone else, but we actually find that it is a sunnah that he has recommended, that he has encouraged us to take advantage of small ways, small moments, to generate a powerful impact in the life of somebody else. The Prophet ﷺ once came to Mu'adh bin Jabal and he came to Mu'adh and he said, Ya Mu'adh, by Allah, I love you. By Allah, I love you. Please don't ever forget that at the end of every prayer, you should make this dua. Allahumma inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Oh Allah, allow me to remember you and to thank you and to worship you in the best of ways. Now when he comes and he prefaces with this intro, first of all, we know that whatever the Prophet ﷺ taught, 
by way of worship or du'as or anything like that, the companions would jump to learn it and to practice it. And yet in this situation, this advice is prefaced, Ya Mu'adh, by Allah, I love you. Now what impact would that have on Mu'adh radiallahu an? That the instruction that is now to follow this, this preface, this introduction, will be something coming from a genuine place of love, of care, of concern. Of the Prophet ﷺ genuinely telling him something that he wants him to practice. Because it will be best for Mu'adh to practice this. So he told him, never leave it off. A small moment, but a powerful impact. One time, Anas ibn Malik, he said that we were with the Prophet ﷺ. And there was a man with us. And another man went passing by, and the man that was with us said, Ya Rasulullah, I love that man for the sake of Allah. He said, have you told him? He said, no. He said, then go and tell him. Go and tell him. And if you've ever had that type of a friendship with someone, where someone sends you a text message and says, that there's nothing going on, I just wanted to tell you, I love you for the sake of Allah. No matter how difficult of a day you're having, no matter what type of stresses you are dealing with in your life at that moment, whatever hardships you may be going through, that small, innocuous text message, it has an impact. It uplifts our day. It brightens our outlook. And it's something that stands out. It's something that we remember. We may exchange thousands of text messages and forget all of them, not be able to recall any of them. But that one where someone says, I love you for the sake of Allah, we remember it. And so he encouraged us. If you love someone for the sake of Allah, then go and tell them. Because that small moment of telling them is something that will have a powerful impact in the life of someone else. And he even taught us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, do not deem any act to be insignificant. For even greeting your brother with a cheerful face, is a sunnah, is an act of worship. Greeting someone with a smiling face is an act of worship. We deal and we come across so many people throughout the course of a day at school, at work, at the store. We interact with dozens, if not more people every single day. And we don't know what people are dealing with. We don't know what people are going through. And yet we're taught a very simple and a very significant Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, which is that when you interact with someone, be someone that brings happiness, someone that brings some type of positivity into their life. Someone feels better about their day because they interacted with you for a brief moment. It's something that helped them, it's something that gave them a better outlook at least for that day. He also taught us wasallam. That the person that has not thanked the people has not thanked Allah. And so he's taught us one way that we brighten, that one way that we uplift others is by thanking them. And we know and we've all been in that situation where when someone recognizes something that we've done, when someone is appreciative of hard work or effort that we put into something, and they recognize that, how that makes us feel. How much we want to continue to act in that way, to do things like that, that bring that response in people. Ibn Abbas, he says, one time I noticed that the Prophet went to go and relieve himself. And I thought that when he comes back, he's going to need to make wudu. 
So I went and I prepared the water and I left the water there for him and then I left. I prepared the water and then I left. And when he came back and he made wudu, he inquired, who is the person that left this water for me? And when he was told that it was Ibn Abbas, he said, Allahumma faqihu fi deen wa alimhu ta'wil. Oh Allah, grant him understanding of this religion and teach him its interpretation. And Ibn Abbas, as we know, is someone that has a reputation among the companions as being someone that had a deep understanding of the explanation of the Qur'an. And how did that dua come about? Ibn Abbas, in a small moment, just did a small act of kindness. And in return, he made dua for him. And this is something that we underrate and we overlook and we cast aside as being cliche, making dua for one another. We often, we don't make dua for ourselves enough. But think, how much dua do we make for other people? How much dua do we make as a means of thanking someone that did something for us? These are small moments, small things that don't require much effort on our parts. And yet they can have a profound and tremendous impact in the life of someone else. See, when we look at the way that we internalize memories, the way that we remember events, we tend to remember very positive things or very negative things. So if you go to a restaurant to celebrate your anniversary, for example, the food may have been average, the service may have been average, everything may have just been very average and forgettable. But when they come out at the end of the dinner, and they present to you a chocolate cake that you didn't order, and they write happy anniversary and give you a little card and you know make a little show of it, you walk away remembering the entire event as something positive. So that one positive memory of them giving you this unexpected little gift makes the whole event seem in your mind when you recall it positive. Even if you don't remember what you ordered, even if you don't remember all the little minute by minute, recolle minute, by minute recollection of the entire dinner, but that one positive memory of that cake seals the deal. On the flip side, a negative memory can do the same thing. If you've ever taken a child to a theme park, Disney or Universal or something like that, what happens? You plan, you buy tickets, you go, you go on every single ride, you get fast pass, you eat all the nice meals, you take them to the gift shop at the end of the day to get gifts. You do anything and everything you possibly can from 10 in the morning till 10 at night to make sure that your child had the best time possible. And then what happens on the way to the car? You walk by that little seller with the glow-in-the-dark necklaces for a dollar each, and your kid says, I want that necklace. And you say, oh, forget it, forget it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. We've already done enough. And you get to the car and the kid is doing what they're crying. I had a bad day because I didn't get the glow-in-the-dark necklace. And we've become very aggravated. Like, we just did this whole amazing day, and you're fixated on this little necklace, this little glow-in-the-dark toy. But that's the way our mind works. Maybe as adults, we have a more mature way of manifesting that, but it's still the same thing. We tend to lock in sometimes on a very negative memory and let that paint the picture of the entire event. Jabir bin Samr radiallahu an. He says, when I was a child, I accompanied the Prophet sallallahu after Dhuhr prayers. He said, we would go pray Dhuhr, and then as kids we would just walk with him back to his home. And as we're walking, he's just kind of playing and messing with the kids, and he goes, I will never forget. He was passing his hands over the heads of the children. 
And I will never forget the fragrance of his hand was more beautiful than any fragrance I had ever smelled in my life before. And so think this very small innocuous passing moment creating such a positive reinforcement of what memory? Of going to the masjid. That as an adult he's reminiscing. I still remember that one time I smelled the hand of the Prophet And we connect the dots in contrast to the experiences many of us have when we come to the masajid. And another Jabir bin Samar, he tells us something else very interesting. Someone asked him that, did you ever used to just sit and hang out with the Prophet And he said, yes. He said, we would pray Fajr. Then they would sit until the sun came up. And he goes, and then the Prophet and his companions, they would sit and they would talk. And they would remember the days of Jahiliyyah. And they would recite poetry to one another and they would laugh and they would have a good time. So he's reminiscing that they used to just literally sit and hang out. They used to sit and just have fun and entertain and exchange conversation. That was what he remembered about his experience sitting with the Prophet ﷺ. We think about how many times we want to spend quality time with friends or quality time with family. And we tend to then set the bar very high as to what quality time looks like. And we're learning from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ himself. The quality time doesn't have to be something very extravagant or very difficult. It's simply sitting and just spending time with one another. Those are the things that people remember. You know, when someone passes away, it's very interesting, it's very intriguing how someone is remembered after they pass away. And what people say about them. And people will say things like, that brother or that sister was always smiling. That person was always going out of their way to help other people. That person was always very generous. That person gave everything they had to their family. If there's a medical doctor, please, there's an emergency in the back. Okay, I think we have it covered, inshallah. When we reminisce about how people remember people that have passed away, they say things like, that person was always smiling, they were always generous. They gave everything they had to their family. And when people say things like that, they're not looking at one major event. There's not one major incident that causes someone to be remembered in such a manner, but rather it is a repetition of small incidents. A repetition of small events that shapes that reputation of somebody. And so we think how that applies to how we interact on a regular basis, especially with those close to us. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu an, he was in the service of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam since he was a child. He said, I served the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for 10 years. And never in that 10 years did I ever hear him say, uff. Did I ever hear him express any annoyance or displeasure or say, why did you do this thing or why didn't you do that thing? The simple absence of a negative moment is what stood out. Because as we know, it's very easy to get frustrated, especially with children. When we have to tell them the same thing over and over and over again. And we express our frustration, we express our annoyance. 
And Anas radiallahu anhu, he's saying that I never heard him do that even once. And he also tells us a story. And listen carefully to how he words it. He says, by Allah, the Prophet had the most perfect character. One time he gave me an errand to run. And I told him, Ya Rasulullah, I'm going to go and do this errand. I'm not going to get distracted and I'll be right back. And he says, I went and as I passed by the marketplace, I saw a bunch of kids playing and I did what kids do. And I began playing with them as well and I forgot about the errand. He said, I'm playing and all of a sudden I feel a hand on my back. And I turn around and I see the Prophet ﷺ smiling. And he asked me, did you do that thing that I told you to do? And Anna says, yes, he says, yes, yes, I'm going right now, I'm going right now, I'm going right now. And he ran off to go finish the errand. But look how he began the story. By Allah, the Prophet ﷺ had the most perfect character. And what story does he connect to the perfect character? That in this one moment when I forgot to do his errand, he didn't reprimand me. He didn't yell at me. He just smiled and said, did you do it? And then I ran to go do it. And from that one moment, he tells that story that the Prophet ﷺ had the best character. And so we see from his life ﷺ, the way that he has encouraged us to smile at people. The way that he encouraged us to thank people. The way that he's encouraged us and shown us through his example how we should focus on creating positive memories and positive associations for people that are around us. People that we interact with on a daily basis. Not to deem any of these acts as insignificant. But things that empower us. That we can have a powerful impact in the life of someone else by following these very small actions. Please ask everyone to move in closer one more time. Anas ibn Malik he tells us yet another story. And what's very interesting, I've mentioned a number of stories by Anas ibn Malik He's someone that accompanied the Prophet He was with him a lot. And so it's very interesting that not, not only does he have a first person viewpoint to many of these incidents, but if something was amiss, he would have pointed it out. And that's something that for me is a miracle of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. We look at any other human being, any other leader, any other type of individual. And in those small moments when things are tough, when we're frustrated, when we're annoyed, right, we give in a little bit to that frustration. We tend to give in to that anger. We, don't, we might not overreact, we might not go overboard, but we give in to it a little bit. We give in a little bit. And Anas is telling us that I never even saw the Prophet ﷺ given a little bit. And that's what it means when we, when we hear, for example, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ That he had the most perfect character. It wasn't just that he had good character, but it was that he 
implemented and acted upon that good character in every single moment. Think how difficult that is. Every single moment, no matter how he's pushed, how he's prodded, he always acted with the most perfect conduct, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Anas tells us this story about a very special friendship that the Prophet ﷺ had. He says that there was a man by the name of Zahir. And Zahir was a man of the wilderness. And so he didn't live in the city, he lived out in the wilderness. And he said that when he would come and visit Medina, he would bring with him gifts of the wilderness. And so he would bring plants, he would bring vegetation, he would bring food. Things that were not available in the city, he would bring them and then he would gift them to the Prophet ﷺ. And he said, in turn, the Prophet ﷺ would collect things from the city, food and plants and things that were unique to Medina, and he would gift them to Zahir when he was leaving. And so Anna says that they had this beautiful relationship, this friendship. They would meet and they would exchange gifts. And now Anas, he tells us, that Zahir was a man that was not very handsome. This is how Anas delicately puts it. That he was a man that was not very handsome. So one time, the Prophet ﷺ saw Zahir in the marketplace. And he went up behind him and he grabbed him. And Zahir says, who is this? Who's grabbed me? Let go, let go. And he's you know, fighting him. And then he sees out of the corner of his eye that it is the Prophet ﷺ. And so he says, when I, when I noticed that it was the Prophet, I immediately let, my, let, let go and tried to just put my body against his just so I could be close to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet didn't let go yet. And he's joking around. They're friends. And so the Prophet ﷺ announces, he says, who would like to purchase this slave? Who would like to purchase the slave? And Zahir's mood immediately changes. And he says, Ya Rasulullah, this is defective merchandise. This is defective merchandise. You're not going to get much value for this. You're not going to get anyone to pay you too much. And that's a very small statement, but it's a very big window into how Zahir was feeling at that moment. Or maybe how Zahir viewed himself in that moment. And the Prophet ﷺ immediately responded and said, No, rather, in the eyes of Allah, you are not defective merchandise, but you are someone that is very valuable. You are someone that is very valuable in the sight of Allah. Now imagine that no matter how you feel, if the Prophet ﷺ comes and tells you that in the sight of Allah, you are valuable, that will literally transform your entire life. It will transform your, uh, the outlook that you have of the world for the rest of your life. With that small statement, just picking up on what happened and what Zahir was saying, and immediately turning back around and saying that you are someone that is valuable in the sight of Allah. And what we learn from that is that one of the sunnahs, one of the practices of the Prophet ﷺ, was how he came to uplift people. And think how many interactions we have with people on a day-to-day -day basis. How many WhatsApp messages we exchange. How many comments we leave online. How many people we talk to. And when we talk and when we exchange messages, what is our attitude? What is our intention? What is our demeanor? What is our attitude? 
Is it one of one-upping or making ourselves look better or putting someone else down? Or is it one of sincerely looking at somebody else and figuring out how can I lift somebody else up? That was the example that the Prophet ﷺ set. And it is an example that is admittedly difficult to follow. It is hard to think like that at all times and that is why he had the best character. But he taught us that example. That when we look around and we see all of these difficulties, all these tragedies, all these major problems, and we say, you know, there's big problems, they need big solutions, and I don't know what I can do. And we feel overwhelmed. And we say that there's so much stuff happening, what's the point of me even doing anything about it? But we're taught from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that there are small ways that every small things everybody can do, that are small to us, that are innocuous to us, that we might even forget that we did, and yet they carry a tremendous amount of meaning for someone else. How many of us, our lives were shaped by someone telling us, you're really good at X, you're really talented at this thing, and maybe it was something that we didn't think that we were good at, or that we were talented at. And it may have changed the course of the career that we pursued or whatever that, you know, something that we pursued in life. And you go back some years later and you tell that person, do you remember when you told me that you saw this strength in me? Well, that changed my life and I went and I did this and that and that. And that person says, I don't even remember saying it. I don't even remember saying it. Because for them, it was something small. It was something in passing. But for the person on the receiving end, it was something that was very powerful and very transformative. And so we learn from the example of the Prophet ﷺ how to capitalize small things that we can do that have a powerful impact in the lives of other people. Inna Allahumma lakati salluna ala nabi Ya ayyuladheena amnu sallu alayhi wa sallim wa taslima Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala ali Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim wa innaka hamidun majid Allahumma atina fi dunya hasna wa fi al-akhirati hasna wa kinta bin-nar Allahumma sura al-islam wa al-muslimina fi kulli makan wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa iqam al-salaam Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.